welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half-truth. Full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Steroids Podcast. I bet you guys are wondering, since the last episode, I told you that I was on an experiment of a cycle which was 900 milligrams of primobolin per week, 750 milligrams of testosterone per week, and 10 units of growth hormone per day. Okay, so I did the experiment for a month, and um, I stopped it, but I did it for a month, and let me tell you the effects that I had during that month, okay? So um, I gained 35 pounds during that month. Um, now, this was definitely not all muscle weight, Okay. Uh, it was not even close to all muscle weight. Um, a lot of it was actually food in my stomach. So when you take the growth hormone at the higher dosage like that, it really slows down the process of the food um, going through your, your gut. So within days of starting, um, my gut got really distended and it was full of food. Like I wasn't pooping much. Um, and basically all the food that I would eat would just kind of sit in my digestive system. And, uh, you know, so my, my gut was very distended because of being on the large dosage. And then, um, you know, once the month was finished and I, you know, went off for a little bit and then went back on, but only taking three units a day now, um, you know, one third of the dose, um, you know, the gut is not distended uh, like it was before. It wasn't from organ growth or something. It was because literally food was just loaded into my digestive system sitting there because the growth hormone slowed down the gastric mobility, the rate at which um, your digestive system processes the stuff that you put into it. So the main effect that I got right away taking the 10 units of growth hormone per day was um, my, my appetite just went insane. My appetite went absolutely insane. For the first few days, um, it would only be insane at certain at certain times. Uh, you know, sometimes I'd feel like, well, I don't even need food. You know, like I don't even need to eat because... You know, the growth hormone was raising my blood sugar. Um, but then after about maybe five days or so, it was like I just became just ravenously hungry, like probably hungry in a way that I've never been hungry before. So I was eating like five to six thousand calories per day and just like um, just just going nuts, you know, like eating eating all kinds of food and um you know, getting a lot bigger and a lot stronger pretty quickly. So like I said, I gained 35 pounds during that month. So, you know, that's nearly, um, nearly 10 pounds per week, which is totally insane. 
Um, but I would say that I would say 15 of those pounds were food sitting in my stomach, literally just extra food uh, sitting in my stomach than what I had before. Like the the distension that I got from using the growth hormone was like unbelievable. Like how how much it was pushing my stomach out because the food was in there. So definitely a good 15 pounds of food um, just sitting in my stomach, accounting for, you know, part of that 35 pound weight gain in a month. Um, and then water, uh, probably again, like around, you know, 15 pounds or so, like 10 to 15 pounds of, um, of, you know, water added to my body. So it blew my face up. My face became an, you know, like an egg, you know, the shape of an egg, uh, completely swollen and really blown up. Um, and, and then also all around my body, you know, like as far as water retention, like on my skin and other areas of my body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I'd ever have anything contacting my skin in any area, um, it would leave some kind of a mark there. And then I gained about five, six pounds or so of solid muscle during that month and became a lot stronger. Um, I'll just tell you like for one of those, for one of those workouts, um, for what, for, for one of the workouts that I was doing, um, you know, one week I pressed, um, 125 pound dumbbells on the incline press with perfect form, you know, like, a you know, a slow controlled negative and then an explosive, uh, positive, um, for four and a half reps, one workout. And then I came back to the gym seven days later and did the, tried to do the same thing again. Uh, you know, a maximum reps with those 125 pound dumbbells using that form on the incline press. And I doubled the amount of reps, eight and a half reps. Um, you know, only with seven days in between. Um, so, you know, that, uh, that was a, that was the food, the growth hormone, the steroids altogether, fueling that kind of adaptation. So, you know, my body was adapting to the stress I was putting on it in the gym, hardcore, um, experienced, you know, uh, being able to eat a lot of food, um, strength gains, mass gains, etc. Um, and I think I gained like, maybe like, three, four pounds of fat or something during, during that week or during that month, during that month. So gain like 15 pounds of food inside my stomach that then, you know, now it's gone. And then, you know, gained a lot of strength, gained, uh, like five, six pounds of solid muscle tissue. You know, my whole body is definitely considerably bigger now. Uh, you know, my muscles, like they're considerably bigger. Um, it's very noticeable. Uh, and then gained something like, you know, three, four or five pounds of fat as well. Even though I was on a ton of growth hormone and on a ton of steroids, um, that, that, uh, still wasn't, um, blocking, um, complete, you know, for, for eating around 6,000 calories or so per day, you know, at least 5,000 per day, um, that wasn't able to block any kind of, you know, all fat, um, acquisition. Uh, so that was the effects of running that that cycle experiment, the um, 900 milligrams primobolin per week, 750 milligrams testosterone per week, and 10 units of growth hormone per day. Did it for a month. Had some really uh, strong effects from that, and then at the end of the month, I started to get um I started to get a sexual dysfunction and also a foggy head 
uh, and like a low motivation because of um, my prolactin rise. Uh, I'm pretty sensitive to prolactin. Like, you know, I definitely can't use, you know, any trend at all without using Pramipexil or Cabergoline to reduce prolactin or else after the second week on trend, you know, like I will be completely, um, you know, not able to function. I have no sexual function. And then um, the my my head will feel really cloudy or like I'm kind of like spinning up in the clouds, like I have a foggy head or something like that. That's from trend. So I did get um, a, mild, a more mild, mild form of that, but a significant form of it um, from using the, the high growth hormone, uh, for, for a month. And it, I, the weird thing about it was that I didn't have any of those prolactin effects until, um, until like after, after like 25 days or something. And then like from day 25 to day 30, you know, I had those, those, uh, you know, that sexual dysfunction. And then I had the, the really foggy head too, you know, it, so after a while of having those high, super high growth hormone levels, it, it seems reasonable that to assume that my body um, tried to make an adaptation to, uh, you know, get homeostasis again. And, uh, you know, for some reason that made my, my prolactin go up. But uh, prolactin and growth hormone are both very similar molecules. So it's also possible that, you know, having just such an abundant abundance of growth hormone, there's barely any difference between prolactin and growth hormone. Um it they both come from the pituitary gland too and it, it's it's possible that um you know some of that growth hormone or some of the metabolites from it or something were attaching to my pro- prolactin receptors i don't know that was just my experience on it so i did have some sexual side effects from 10 ius per day that um you know i had zero sexual side effects until right at about a month and that was right when those kicked in but right before that i had zero so take that for what it's worth Interesting experiment I did. Now um, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm uh, going back to a more moderate thing now that I, you know, figured that out and uh, had that happen. So let's get into some questions. First one is from Eric. I'm 49 and have been lifting my entire life. I put in the work at the gym and in the kitchen, but I've reached my plateau. Thinking about starting small. 500 milligrams per week of testosterone cypionate for 12 weeks and 30 milligrams of Dianabol for eight weeks in the middle of the 12-week cycle. Also, one milligram of Arimidex every other day. Thoughts? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, 30 milligrams of Dianabol for eight weeks is a really good way to do it. Um, 30 milligrams of Dianabol is definitely enough to feel it. Um, And and um, see like strength gains and performance gains in the gym right away, you know, within a week of starting your cycle. Um, And then putting that on top of the 500 milligrams per week of testosterone for your first cycle, I think you'll be really satisfied. Uh, So having the D-ball in the middle of the cycle too, that makes sense to me. I I mean, the the middle of your cycle, you said that you're going to do it eight weeks in the middle and you're doing a 12-week cycle. So that means you're going to start, you know, the the D ball after two weeks on testosterone, and then you're going to put, pull out the D ball and do two weeks more on testosterone, you know, after that eight weeks with the testosterone and D ball combined in the middle. Um, and that sounds great to me. Uh, so you're going to have that D ball in during the cycle when your, uh, testosterone is most potent. Uh, sounds great. Uh, one milligram of Arimidex every other day. Yeah, that'll probably cover you. But since it's your first cycle 
and you don't know how sensitive you are to estrogen, you never know. Like, you know, you might need one milligram of Vermedix every day, or you might only need, you know, one or two milligrams per week. Or some people even need no Arimidex um, on that kind of cycle or dosage. It, it really depends on the person. So you will know once you try that. Uh, but you should expect, you know, significant performance and size gains on that cycle, especially from the Deanabol. Because the 30 milligrams of Deanabol per day, that's definitely as strong, you know, just that. Just the 30 milligrams of Deanabol per day is definitely as strong as 500 milligrams of testosterone per week. Uh, it's there's you know Dianabol is way stronger at being a performance enhancing drug than testosterone is the next question is from cam who says how do you know if you're psychologically addicted or dependent on peds i am a 38 year old entrepreneur and i and high dose test makes me three times more productive than when i'm natural i like this question so how do you know if you're psychologically addicted or dependent on PEDs? Well, I'll tell you, most guys that start experimenting with hormones don't want to stop. Um, or they, you know, if they do stop, it's for a reason. And they want to, to start doing it again later. Because, like, these things, if you're a man, it's pretty natural to want to be as powerful as you can be to want to build your body up to be as powerful as it can be, you know, to have the greatest stature that you can have, um, you know, to be big and uh, fast and strong. These are really natural um, desires of almost, you know, a hundred percent of men. So if you find something that helps you do that, you're going to want to use it. Um, so that's, you know, then, and then when you stop using it, you will notice right away, you know, no matter what people say about like, oh yeah, you know, you can keep your gains if you keep lifting heavy, you will notice that when you stop using it, um, you know, you, those gains or benefits that you had from using it immediately begin to deteriorate. Um, so that's, you know, the, them helping you, um, fulfill a natural desire, the steroids, and then um, when you stop taking them, um, you know, those natural desires that were being fulfilled, you know, immediately going away, um, that obviously creates a situation where you're going to want to continue using them. Um, so are you addicted to them? I mean, I guess you could say, yeah, but it's more of like a, a decision, like, uh, like I want to use this um, and so I'm going to. Uh, it's because, you know, guys who use TRT, for example, testosterone replacement therapy, they're not addicted to, uh, you know, testosterone or something, but they're using it for a reason. It makes them feel better, you know? And so that's where that's where I kind of like draw the line is if if you're psychologically addicted or dependent on them, that's where you feel like for me, the way that I think of that is that. I feel like that's somebody who is using high dosages regularly, like they're always on cycle and they feel like they cannot come off cycle. Like they do not cruise. They do not ever come off. They do not really ever even lower their dosages much. You know, uh, they're just constantly on and it's having, you know, a negative effect on their health and they know it and they're just keep on doing it 
because they feel like there is no alternative. You know, going back to being natural would basically be like, you know, not worth living or something like that. That's what I consider to be, you know, that's when the PEDs are in their life and they're being a negative thing. They're being a negative thing that the person is feeling like they're using, you know, and it's not really like benefiting their life. It's actually causing them harm and it's causing them um, to to do do actions and take decisions that are not in their best interests. You know, they're not using it responsibly at all, just completely abusing it. So that's different levels for different people. But generally, you know, something like 500 milligrams of testosterone per week or something, like if somebody takes that year round or 750 milligrams of testosterone per week or even one gram of testosterone per week, okay? If somebody takes that year round, um, you can look at their blood work if they're not taking anything else. And it's, it's not really going to be like, you know, like havoc on their blood work. Okay. So in those cases, you know, if, if somebody is using, you know, moderate dosages and, you know, taking care of their health, you know, as best as they can. And then this thing is helping them, you know, fulfill those natural desires of being bigger, stronger, faster, having a greater stature than, um, normal, you know, I don't really consider that to be psychologically addictive, especially if they can see see themselves and be like, uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't like to go back to natural. You know, that's not what I would prefer because, I mean, me, myself, that this is how I think, you know, like, no, I don't want to be natural. I like using testosterone. Um, but, you know, if I had to be natural, it definitely wouldn't be the end of my life. Like, there's tons of other stuff I like doing, like... um, yeah, I've got other things that I like doing. You know, my identity isn't solely invested in only bodybuilding and I'm a bodybuilder and that's all I am. And, you know, without bodybuilding, I don't know who I am. You know, that's not how I feel. So uh, I do not feel like I'm addicted to PEDs, even though I have been using them consistently for six years or so now. Um, but, uh, you know, uh it's it's up to the it's up to the the individual to decide you know whether they're psychologically addicted, you know drinking coffee every day definitely does give you se- some kind of physiological addiction and even psychological addiction too. Um, so like drugs, you know things that are substances like um, they can be addictive. But do people really like? Is there a stigma about like being addicted to coffee or something? Um, no, not, not usually, especially not if it's just like, you know, drinking it once a day or something. Um, but you know, plenty of people drink it all throughout the day, every day. And and nobody still really complains so much about like being like addicted and like there's some kind of addict, right? So I I just want to read your question one more time. You say, you say that, how do you know if you're psychologically addicted or dependent on PEDs? Your 38 year old entrepreneur and high dose test makes you three times more productive than when you're natural. My opinion on that is that you're using a supplement to help you um, achieve the things that you want uh, to do with your life. You say it makes you three times more productive than when you're natural. You're an entrepreneur. Okay, well, you know, people, a lot of people that, you know, work uh, high stress jobs like in the Silicon Valley, you know, like in computer industry or executives of companies, you know, they also use sub- supplements to help them. Also, salespeople, they also use supplements to help them work. Like, um, 
like some take Adderall, others take Ritalin, others take, uh, oh man, it's, it's slipping my head right now. It's slipping my head. Modafinil. Others take Modafinil, um, to help them, you know, be able to, to do those jobs. And actually when I used to be a door to door, um, security, uh, home security salesman, um, I took Kratom uh, when I was doing that too, you know, when I'd be knocking on the doors doing that because it made me be able to uh, maintain a better mood uh, while I was, while I was being, uh, you know, rejected, knocking on people's doors. It made me just be able to, you know, just shrug it off like nothing had happened and, uh, you know, have a better mood, which made me be able to work better. Um, and, you know, that, that helped me, that, that helped me uh, do my living. So, if you're using some kind of substance to, to help you um, make your living, that's not abnormal. That's, uh, you know, most people who are at the top um, or who are really excelling uh, use some kind of aid to help them. You know, whether that's coffee, whether that's modafinil or, uh, you know, Ritalin or whether that's Kratom or whether it's testosterone, whatever, man. If you want to use something, just do it. It's up to you. And if it's not, you know, like, you know, directly causing negative things to happen in your life where, you know, it's, you know, if you were honest with your grandma and your mom and dad about what you're doing and, um, <laughs> and, and you said, uh, you know, this is what I'm doing um, and, and this is why. And, and, you know, your mom and dad and your grandma or something were, were like open-minded people, you know, they didn't have like, they weren't rooted in only doing it one way, you know, but they're really open-minded and wanted you to be successful. And you explained to them, you know, really clearly, you know, what you were doing and why, you know, if they could, if they could, uh, if you could feel comfortable doing that, basically, if you could feel comfortable doing that, telling the people who love you about what you're doing and why. Um, if you can feel comfortable doing that, then I'd say that you're definitely not, um, you know, psychologically addicted or depended, uh, and, and, you know, destroying your life by using these things. It, it's, um, that that's really a good, a good gauge. Can you be honest and tell people who love you about what you're doing and then, um, feel confident about telling them, you know, honestly about, the substances that you're using to help you reach your goal and the dosages and stuff. Um, if you can do that and feel good about and feel good about it or confident about it, telling the people that love you about that people who care about you, um, then, um, you know, and not feel ashamed, then I don't think that what you're doing is, is a problem. I don't think it's something you need to worry about. I think it's, it's a good thing for your life. Um, next question is from Nick who says, brah, I got a little bit of gyno. Nothing too crazy, or it's just even puffy nipples. Can Nolva solve this? If so, what would you do? Yeah, a lot of people are really sensitive about um, gyno issues, and a lot of guys don't have gyno, but they think they do. Um, on the internet, several years ago, I'm not sure if it still is. I, I think it probably still is, but it's been a thing. It's been a trend where people look at other guys, you know, when they post pictures or on forums or something, people look at people's nipples. And if, if they're not cold and, you know, small and hard, people will be like, oh, you have gyno. And, and that that's not gyno, man. Uh, like, you know, you get all these, these uh, you know, because people are already insecure about their bodies or whatever. And then you got all these people on the internet 
that, you know, hate themselves. You know, they see like a, a nipple that isn't, you know, cold and hard. And then they start saying, uh, oh, you're a gyno person. You have a breast. And then this person gets all self-conscious, you know, if because this guy, you know, Nick, he says he's got a little bit of gyno, nothing too crazy. He thinks it might even just be puffy nipples. And, and yeah, that's exactly what I think. You know, it's just, you know, your nipple isn't a nipple that is uh, hard all the time or something, you know, it, sometimes it can be slack and like, obviously there's genetic, uh, genetic things going on there. You know, some, some people's nipples will be more hard all the time than other people's nipples, or if they got their nipples pierced, that makes them always hard. Then um, if they've ever had them pierced before. Um, so if you're, if you're worried about, if you had gyno, uh, you can, you can do this right now. Okay. Uh, take your, your forefinger, your pointer finger, and your thumb and um, position them on the bottom and on the top of your nipple and now like press in with the tips of your fingers so that you can like, you're like pressing into your chest and now try to grip that area like where your nipple is and like kind of behind the nipple and see what that feels like. And if you feel like serious, like lumpy, like frozen peas in there or or like hard BBs and, and not just like, you know, one or two because there is a gland back there, okay? It's not like you're going to touch your nipple and the area behind it and squeeze it and it's just going to be nothing back there. You know, there is going to be something in there. So you're going to touch it and if it's like, you know, if you touch, if there's just kind of like a, a tiny bit of like a harder tissue in there, you know, and it's it's not big at all, but you can just feel that there's something in there. That's not gyno. That's that's your your nipple breast gland, and you're born with that. Everybody's born with that. Um, so that that's not gyno. Don't worry about that, okay? But if you do if you do that same procedure and you feel like a you know a significant amount of like frozen peas feeling or BBs or uh, you know it's like uh, kind of rough and like <laughs> something like that in there, uh, it's you know hard and you can feel like a significant lump, not something that is the size of you know one or two frozen peas or one frozen pea or something like that but there's something that is like whoa there's like something in here man like there's something in there okay that that's gyno okay that's gyno uh but the average guy that thinks he, he has gyno and he feels in his nipple and he feels like there's a little something in there when you squeeze your nipple uh that's not gyno that's just the gland you're born that way everyone has that um to some degree some is bigger than others uh but the, the gyno is actually when that that gland that you can feel back there, when you can feel back there and you can say, oh, yeah, there's a little something in there. You know, I can barely kind of squeeze it, kind of grip it, but I can tell that there's something in there behind the nipple. You know, that's the gland. OK, now, if that gland starts growing from using steroids and having high estrogen, high prolactin, high progesterone and it starts growing, it's it turns into kind of like a, a golf ball or or like a bottle cap size you know like the the bottle cap on a soda bottle or something like that or and if you're feeling you know that kind of feeling like whoa there's a thing back here and it's hard and it's like the size of a bottle cap on a, a soda on a soda bottle or something you know that that's gyno formation that's the the breast tissue was growing more it was starting to develop um and, and that's that's what that is but these guys you know if you go outside and you know it's a hot day and you got you know a nip a nipple that doesn't have a point on it or something, you know, it's kind of like a, a soft skin there. That's not gyno. Um, that's, that's just genetically what your nipples look like. You know, if you want to take a photo, 
<laughs> if you want to take a photo, then do the way that the pros do, you know, and, uh, you know, give your nipple a little flick or something if you're really worried about it. Okay. Uh, cause that, you know, believe it or not, they actually do that kind of shit, you know, you know, give it, give it a little, you know, somebody get their finger out and flick that fucking nipple and then, you know, take that fucking picture, something like that. Okay. That's totally unnecessary, uh, to be worrying about this kind of stuff. Even, even myself, like I definitely do not have gyno like, and, uh, you know, I've been using roids for a long time. Uh, but when I was a young teenager, when I was like 15 years old, I, I remember like kind of being like, um, like a little bit like insecure about my nipples or something. So I think that is something that a lot of guys go through. Um, and, and, you know, nowadays when and this is, I know this is kind of a weird thing to say, but you know, nowadays when other bodybuilders see my chest and, you know, sometimes they, you know, I've had a comment like, Oh, like, uh, it looks like, you know, you have you have the kind of nipple that looks like it doesn't have gyno. You know, you have like a a small dime dime sized nipple. Um, you know, how did you how did you keep it like that while using steroids or something? So I really do not have gyno. Uh, but you know, when I was like 15 years old, you know, I noticed that you know my nipple wasn't you know always at all times exactly the way that it would look like on a fitness model in a magazine. And so like maybe like if I would go outside to like mow my lawn or something with my shirt off because, you know, I was getting, you know, turning into an adolescent. So I kind of wanted to, you know, have my shirt off or something and mow the lawn. You know, I might feel a little bit insecure, like about like, oh, like what if my nipple is like, you know, not hard or something, you know, so if it would look kind of flat, you know, I might be like flicking it or like give it a little pinch or something real quick. <laughs> but I was like, I was like a little bit insecure about that at the time. So I think it's very normal um, for guys to feel, you know, worry that they have gyno or feel a little bit insecure about their nipples. Another thing is that I've had so many people, uh, contact me echoing a similar question to what Nick said, bro, I got a little bit of gyno, nothing too crazy, or it's just even puffy nipples. Can Nova solve this? If so, what would you do? You know, I've got tons of guys that contact me saying, you know, with similar messages and, you know, a lot of times, you know, they'll send me pictures and they don't have gyno. A lot of times they have that, you know, they have some body fat to lose. And, you know, the the nipple area is, you know, an area that is sensitive to estrogen. And so it's an area where fat accumulates on that area. For the majority of people, not all people, but for the majority of people, fat accumulates on that nipple area more so than the rest of the body. You know, estrogen influences where, you know, certain areas of the body just like uh, they're, they're more sensitive to estrogen than other areas of the body. Just like certain areas of the body are more sensitive to androgens and testosterone than others. Like the shoulders, the traps, um, the upper chest, uh, the back. Uh, those can be areas that are more, um, you know, more affected by steroids than other areas. And then, you know, like the, the hips and the nipple area can be more affected by, uh, by estrogen as far as like fat deposition. So if you've been on steroids and you know, that means that you've probably had, you know, high estrogen levels from time to time, you know, fat can be, uh, accumulated in that nipple area. And, you know, so sometimes they'll have kind of a puffy area going on right there or something, or it will look a little bit slack or loose right in that nipple area. And that can almost always be solved by just, uh, losing, losing, losing weight, losing fat. Um, uh, yeah, my, 
you know, if you really got to, you know, screw with this or if you need to shrink something in your nipple, there's an article on my website, bodybuilderinthailand.com. It's right on the front page. It says how to shrink and get rid of gyno. And I give my advice on that. Um, I really cover like all of it and like exactly how to do it. And, you know, like whether it's from Trend, whether it's from DECA, whether it's from testosterone or any other drug, you know, exactly what you need to do and the dosages and the compounds that you need in order to, you know, shrink and get rid of gyno uh, if you have it. So I know that the website for this podcast is steroidspodcast.com, but on my personal website, bodybuilderinthailand.com on the homepage, there is that article, how to shrink and get rid of gyno that can really help you. Um, and just to say... You know, one one thing is that, yeah, Novodex does work. Novodex is really good for um, starving the nipple tissue of estrogen because it fills up the estrogen receptor at the nipple directly and then makes it so that the estrogen can't bind to that tissue. So if you do have a bit of a lump back there or if you just, you know, you can't get over your nipples, you don't like your nipples, you, you can experiment with Novodex and see if that can help you. All right, next question, 20 to 40 milligrams per day, Nova. Next question, Fat Muscle Fuck asks, what about T3 on a bulk? I read that if you eat the metabolic burn, you'll grow faster due to faster muscle protein synthesis. Any experience with that? Yeah, I do have experience with that. I experimented with thyroid hormones, um, you know, really quickly. You know, um, the day I took my first ever testosterone shot, I also took thyroid hormone. (laughs) Um, So I don't like thyroid hormones. One of the main things that thyroid hormones do is they affect your heartbeat. So there's a direct effect of thyroid hormones on the way that your heart works, um, on the, on the rhythm and on the, the beat, uh, the hardness with which it pounds, T3 and thyroid hormones directly work on that. So most people, when they start using thyroid hormones, they notice like weird little things like with their heart. Some people don't. Some people like, you know, it's, it's probably like more, more do than don't like maybe like 60, 40, uh, you know, 60% do 40% don't notice that, um, you know, some kind of side effects on their heart from, uh, from using thyroid hormones like T3. Uh, another one is it gives you some shortness of breath because your every cell in your body requires more nutrients, more oxygen, um, and and uh, then you you'll get a you'll get hotter, easier, and like overheating easier, and then like out of breath, it also makes you weaker. And T three is so powerful at um, you know burning up calories and everything that you know even if you're on like fucking trend. If you just like go and add in a bunch of T3, like 50 micrograms or 75 micrograms or 100 micrograms of T3, bye-bye to any anabolic response or muscle building response that you had. Um, it uh, It's so powerful at, you know, catabolizing uh, tissue, breaking down tissue, um, ex- expending energy. It's so powerful at doing that, that it will overpower any kind of steroids or performance enhancing drugs that you're on if you take too much. So I just don't really think it's the best bodybuilding drug. Yeah, it does help people lose fat. It does help people lose weight and get ribbed, especially like after somebody has been dieting for a while, after somebody has been dieting for like two months or something and, you know, their body's really starting to get an adaptive response. 
uh, to the dieting. I mean, we all know, like, you know, if you've ever dieted before, like, you're not as hot anymore. And, you know, it seems like you're more calm and your heart is beating slower. That's because your body makes adaptations. And one of the big adaptations is reducing thyroid levels uh, to prevent you from having weight loss and to conserve energy. So then on that person, if you add in, you know, some thyroid hormones and some T3, then that can really make the dieting process easier. Uh, but it does have some potential for those side effects, even at low dosages, like 25 micrograms of T3 per day um, can have those those side effects with the heart and all the other ones that I was saying. Uh, or some people use T4, and so they'll use like 200 micrograms of T4 per day. And T4 is more mild. It doesn't have um, quite as strong of effects because it, it's a pro-hormone and it has to be converted by the body into T3 in order to be active. Um, so your body can kind of regulate how much is being converted. So T4 is more forgiving as far as, uh, you know, like the, you know, it, it can increase muscle protein synthesis because it increases, you know, the amount that the amount of energy that every cell is using in, in practical experience, like in theory that could work, but in practical experience, it doesn't make you gain more muscle to take T3. T3 is a catabolic hormone. It makes you weaker and not uh, not building muscle as much. So I definitely would not use T3 on a bulk. The only you know if you want to experiment experiment with it, you can, um, or experiment with using T3 on a bulk so that you can eat more junk food or something. I mean that's kind of the reasons why people would you know actually benefit from it, but not in a way of like, oh, I gained more muscle because I used T3. Because, um, yeah, it, T3 is so powerful at catabolizing tissue that it can make your steroids even ineffective. Like, just like that. Even strong steroids like Tren. You add in the T3 and like, boom, you're no longer anabolic. Okay, next question is from Desley. Sustanon stopped working. He says... Lab tested Sustanon 250 milligrams, making me feel bottomed out after seven or eight days. I wanted to take one shot a week for my cruise, but it just started to feel shitty without injecting twice a week. I would feel a somewhat peak and then four to five days later, erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, Sustanon will do that. So... What sustenon is, is it's four esters of testosterone combined into one oil. So you guys know esters of testosterone control how long it's released. There's like an ester is like enanthate or cypionate or propionate. Okay. Those are esters and they, they make it so that the, the steroid that you inject gets released into the bloodstream at um, variable rates. Um, you know, how long is it going to be active inside you? So something like a propionate, you know, it peaks a couple hours after you inject it. And then it lasts in your body for about two days and then it's gone. Um, something like enanthate um, peaks 24 hours after you inject it. And then it lasts in your body for about a week. And then it starts, you know, going down pretty quickly until about two or three weeks later, you know, it's completely gone out of your system. So it's a much slower acting drug. Um, and so with sustenon, what sustenon is, is a combination of different esters of testosterone. You got testosterone propionate. You got testosterone phenylpropionate, you got testosterone isocaproate, and you got testosterone, um, what was the other one? Isocaproate, and then um, decanoate, testosterone decanoate. That's the, that's the final fourth uh, component 
of testosterone. So the each one of those esters, propionate, phenylpropionate, isocaproate, and decanoate, they all have different releasing times into the bloodstream. So the isocaproate and the decanoate esters, they're like more long-acting esters. And then the propionate and the phenylpropionate are quick-acting esters. And so they did this because they wanted to give people a testosterone that would be able to, like you said, be injected every seven to eight days. But really... It doesn't, it just doesn't work good. Um, this is common what you're talking about. Um, after four or five days needing another shot of Sustanon, uh, that's, that's not uncommon in, for people who are actually using these things and, uh, and, and having experience with them. It's typical for three or four or five days after a Sustanon injection to need another one or to start feeling like you're, you're going down. So if you want to only inject, um, uh, you know, once a week, you should you should use enanthate or cypionate. They're longer esters, and they have a a more a more smooth a more smoothness to them. The sustenon is going to have those four different drugs all peaking at different times, and it's going to be a more like roller coaster, and it just kind of like exits out of your system. Uh, it seem seemingly quicker. Um, enanthate or cypionate, definitely you can just do one injection per week and be fine. Um, but feeling shitty four to five days after doing Sustanon, that's pretty standard if you don't, you know, take another injection. Um, another thing you could do if you, you know, are really wanting to limit injections is you could take testosterone undecanoate, uh, which is brand name by Bayer. It's called Nibido. And Nibido is really good because it doesn't start coming down until three weeks after your injection. So you get a relatively stable level where each day, Somewhere between 12 and if you take a thousand milligrams in one shot of, uh, of Dabito, then for the next three weeks, each day, you'll have something like 12 to 20 milligrams of testosterone each day released into your blood from that single shot of 1000 milligrams of, uh, testosterone undecanoate. So that's great for doing a, a TRT thing and being able to take a, a low amount of injections. So that would be, if you did that 1,000 milligram shot every three weeks, that would be, you know, something like, you know, 300, 300 milligrams or so of testosterone actually getting into you each week. So a little bit more than the te- than the Sustanon 250, uh, but you'd have way smoother levels and have the low injections. Then with Cypionate and Enanthate, you know, if you aren't injecting those once per week, you're going to start feeling that same kind of crash that you felt from the Sustanon after four to five days. Um, steroids are meant to be injected pretty frequently. You know, I used to inject every day. Back when I was taking the most steroids that I've taken, like if you look on my Instagram, Bodybuilder in Thailand, there's pictures of me like looking my best. And, you know, back in those days, yeah, I was I was injecting every day. Um, usually I'd, I'd, ha- I'd take like a 3cc syringe every day. And you hear a lot of bodybuilders talking about that, you know, like, oh, well, I wanted to, like, fill the syringe or something like that. Um, that's like a common thing that guys, you know, I'm not saying it's a good thing. And I definitely did not feel healthy when I was doing that. I did not feel healthy. OK, like I could tell, like, dude, I'm like taking stuff and this is like too much. Like it's not healthy, uh, but I wanted to do it because I had a certain goal um, and I wanted to be able to, like, show people. Like, you know, you know, I, I know what I'm talking about, you know, look, I've been able to build this 
And, uh, you know, so that I could put my money where my mouth was a little bit, you know, um, with talking about this stuff and, you know, being able to show the, you know, my own personal physique somewhat uh, to be able to validate some of the things that I say um, or the experience that I've had. Um, so that's why I was doing that, um, you know, taking a 3cc shot every day. And yeah, I definitely felt like it was abusive and uh, I don't like doing it, but um, it definitely created stable blood levels. <laughs> Next question is from Fred. Do you recommend only Proviron for lowering estrogen for test Sustin on 250 every five days? My estrogen was a bit high. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. Um, like we were just talking about in the last in the last one, uh, you might want to change your Sustin on 250 to like every three or four days rather than five days or split the shot and only take like a half CC, you know, every other day or something like that just to make yourself feel good. Um, I do not recommend only Proviron for lowering estrogen. So I've tried to use it for that purpose and I've tried to use Mastron for that purpose too. Um, my first trend balloon cycle, you know, I'd, I'd been reading a lot of GH 15 stuff. And so, because I had been reading that, you know, they say, don't use anti-estrogen, you know, just use Masteron. So that's what I was doing my first trend cycle. And, you know, I was, I was just stopped using any AI and just started using Masteron. Uh, I think I was taking like 600 milligrams of Masteron and anthate per week or something. And I thought, you know, okay, now I'm like immune to getting uh, like gyno symptoms or something. But then, you know, I started feeling like my shirt against my chest or I'd like run into a doorway or something, you know, where just stuff, you know, where my chest would brush against something and it would be stuff that I would normally never notice. Um, but, you know, I'd all of a sudden be like, ouch, or something like that, you know, put the shirt on or just like walking and like my, ni my nipple is giving me like this sensation. I'm like, kind of like, ouch, that kind of like hurts having my shirt resting against my nipple or something. Or I'd like walk through a doorway and, you know, maybe I'd kind of like brush the edge of it or something like that stuff that I would normally not even notice. And I'd be like, Oh damn, my, my nipple freaking like, there's a deep pain in there, man. That hurts shit. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I realized, you know, like, dude, this isn't doing shit that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, get gyno right here. And so then I went, you know, back to anti-estrogens and, uh, and, you know, I took a, since I was on trend, I had to take a cabergolin too. I think I was using Pramipexel actually at the time instead of cabergolin. And so I took those and, you know, everything went back to normal, you know, within a few hours. So that's an experience of, you know, using Proviron and Masteron are basically the same thing. One's just injectable and one's oral. Uh, for, for using those kinds of steroids to prevent estrogen, they only do it for like the really, really moderate uh, or or people who really do not produce much estrogen. If you're a person that, you know, normally doesn't really need to use an AI on a cycle, an anti-estrogen, then like, you know, if you use some Proviron or some Mastron, like that'll probably like make your cycle better or something. If you're the type of guy who doesn't need any AI ever. Uh, because you don't get estrogen symptoms. Your body doesn't produce estrogen out of testosterone. Then you could use Proviron or Mastron and like get more of a better look or something like that or you know have some extra low estrogen or something, but it's so mild. It's so mild. Like If you have a high estrogen symptom and then you go and take like 100 milligrams of Proviron or something, like that isn't going to do shit. 
like for example if you're getting gyno and you have like swollen sensitive puffy nipples that are itching okay and you go take 100 milligrams of proviron and expect that to do anything it's not going to do shit you know 24 hours later it's probably it's going to be the exact same you know exact same or maybe even worse because your estrogen keeps on rising the way that proviron and masteron attack you know they the way that they attack the estrogen is they block the receptors and because they're such strong androgens um they they change the ratio of like androgen to estrogen in your body and it just simply is so weak and not strong that it doesn't work and you know proviron was one of the first steroids invented it was mesterlone is the chemical name of proviron and it was invented um in the 1930s just after testosterone got invented uh well, testosterone was discovered right after testosterone was discovered. Proviron was made like almost immediately. And, you know, bodybuilders couldn't use high dosages of testosterone and didn't use high dosages of testosterone for the most part. Powerlifters did because they didn't care about what they looked like. But and a lot of them had gyno. Uh, but most bodybuilders did not, um, you know, in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 70s, um, even up into the 80s until the, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, when Nolvidex uh, started being popularized in bodybuilding and then also uh, aromatase inhibitors like Arimidex, Letrozole, Exibestane in the early 90s, eight, uh, late 80s uh, were invented and then allowed people to be able to significantly suppress estrogen levels. That's when testosterone um, as such a powerful bodybuilding drug then became popular in bodybuilding because then it was able to be used um, you know, while keeping estrogen low, whereas Proviron, something that had been around, and Mastron, something that had been around forever, was not able to do that uh, for the majority of people. Next question is from D. Question for the podcast. I've been running trend cycles for the past two years without any issues relating to side effects. Nothing too crazy. 300 milligrams per week split into three injections along with 3X, 250 milligrams Sustenon. So 750 milligrams sustenon testosterone per week with 300 milligrams of trembolone per week. That's a good cycle. That's a really good, a really good uh, cycle that'll give really good gains. So uh, he's been doing these cycles for the last two years without side effects. However, all of a sudden he started to lactate and he is assuming that this is an elevated prolactin issue. My question is, what are some of the dangers of having high prolactin levels of rodent caber? Goaling be the correct course of action to remedy the situation. Yeah, running cabergolin would be uh, the correct course of action to remedy the situation. You know, you always want to err on the low side with cabergolin because it, it has some um, some dangers of using high dosages or using um, using it for a long time. Um, some dangers with uh, heart complications. So, but it's it's relatively safe in low dosages. So you want to start out just using something like 0.25 milligrams, 0.25 milligrams, two or three times per week. Um, and then, uh, you know, if that doesn't work, uh, maxing out at around uh, 0 0.5, 0 0.5 milligrams, uh, two or three times per week with cabergolin. And if that's not going to solve your issues, then you kind of got to, you know, reduce your steroid use or use other steroids or something. Um, with the lactation, yeah, that's pretty normal um, with Trenbolone. Usually if usually pretty much everyone on Trenbolone, you know, whether you're using Cabergolin or not, or whether you're using antiestrogen or not, pretty much everyone that uses Trenbolone 
can uh, squeeze their nipple and have things have something come out, have some kind of brown, gross substance kind of come out uh, like a liquid. Um, the reason for this is that trenbolone is a jack of all spades hormone. It actually attaches to every hormone receptor. Um, so it attaches to androgen receptors. It attaches to progesterone receptors. It's actually made from progesterone. Okay. So when you take uh trenbolone, like you are going to have some progesterone stimulation and progesterone is what makes women, um, be able to start nursing and breastfeeding their babies. So that's why you like everyone that uses trenbolone does get um, some of that lactation, especially if they, they like squeeze their nipple, um, some kind of like brown or yellow shit, like water stuff comes out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, usually kind of stinky too, which is, it's really gross. So, um, you really can't just not have that happen at all. You know, usually running any steroids though at all, if you really squeeze that gland in your nipple and really, uh, kind of like milk it or something, <laughs> You can kind of get something out of your nipple. You can get some kind of liquid substance out of your nipple. Most steroid users know this. If they really squeeze that gland in their nipple and kind of milk, uh, you know, like milk the teat of the cow, something like that with that gland behind their nipple um, and really squeeze that out, you know, something kind of comes out of their nipple, some kind of liquid, brown, black, yellowish liquid comes out, you know, just a little bit for mostly anybody who uses steroids, but then especially the people that are using Trenbolone and DECA because those raise prolactin and they directly stimulate progesterone receptors, which those are the receptors that make women be able to breastfeed. So it, it does that. It does that. Um, if you are only having the lactation issues and you're not having like pain in your nipple, um, and sensitivity there and you know your sex drive is fine then it's probably better Ben if you just you know ignore it and uh, do not use cabergolin because like I said cabergolin is not something you want to use unless you need to use it because of health concerns and um, this this is pretty normal so uh, you know if you're not getting gyno then it's it's not really an issue and if your sex drive is fine and it's like that ah, you got a little something you know look at this magic trick Look at this magic trick, you know, pull up your shirt and tss, you like give a little spray or something and it goes in a few directions or something. You can, you can spray, spray your friends while they're bench pressing in the gym. All right. Next question. Zane asks, Winstrol Depot effects, common bodybuilding dosages, synergy with other AAS. Yeah, Winstrol works really good with testosterone. Winstrol is like super good with testosterone. It reduces H SHBG sex hormone binding globulin a lot. So it's really potent at making testosterone more potent. Winstrol is uh, because it makes more of the testosterone be active in the blood. The sex hormone binding globulin SHBG, it causes that to be reduced significantly, which means that more testosterone is not then bound up and inactivated by the SHBG. And it's more active and able to do things in your body. So that's Winstrol the tablets or Winstrol the injections. Winstrol Depot's more, it's stronger per milligram than the, than the tablets. So the injection of oral steroids like Winstrol, Dianabol, uh, Anavar, Anadrol, etc. When you inject them, they're like, they're like 30% or so 
that's a rough number, okay? But they're like 30% or so stronger per milligram. Um, and that's that's the main difference. And then the other difference is that um, some of those compounds, and also depending on your own body's physiology, they can make, uh, when it goes through the liver, uh, some metabolites can be made. So instead of just getting the full steroid directly into your bloodstream, um, like it would be in an, in an injection, sometimes, uh, depending on you know your own body, you can have it go through the liver and then some of it can get destroyed and made into some other hormones instead of the steroid that you're actually taking uh, called metabolites. These, these little, um, these hormones that are made after they've been like digested or broken down by your body a bit, those are called metabolites. And so you just get a more, with the injection, you get a more direct and more um, exact or potent influx of the hormone directly into your body. So that's Winstrol Depot versus Winstrol Tablets. Uh, Winstrol Depot is fairly dangerous though. A lot of uh, infections that people get uh, or abscesses come from Winstrol Depot because it's basically the way that they make Winstrol Depot, the injection, is they put sterile water or bacteriostatic water in a vial and then they put the crystal, the crystalline Winstrol stenozolol powder into the water and they combine those two together and it doesn't um it doesn't mix so well so when you get the bottle or the ampule or whatever you got to like really shake it hard before you uh you know draw into the syringe and inject it because you got to get all those crystals into solution in the water uh because it all falls to the bottom it's not an even spread uh throughout the water like it would be with a steroid and oil. And then the water also, it doesn't have the resistance to bacteria and stuff that uh, that oil has. So it, it's more it's more likely to cause infections. Many, many infections that people have and, um, and abscesses, things like that, are caused from injectable Winstrol. So for me, you know, I've used injectable Winstrol, yeah, and I've never had an infection from it, but I have had, you know, like, pain from it like post-injection pain where you know that shit hurts like fuck uh with with pain and some swelling in the area uh but you know now now i'm like i don't i don't like that i don't like winstrol depot i just like the tablets next question is from keeve i ran out of ai mid-cycle 750 testinanthate weekly and 25 milligrams deanabol daily because my shipment got delayed due to the holidays should I continue to pin and take the D ball or wait until the AI comes in? It's got to be, it's going to be about five days till my AI comes in. It depends. It depends on, you know, how much you aromatize. Personally, I wouldn't do it because for me, I would run into problems and because I, I aromatize significantly, um, you know, I would wait. But if you're a guy that knows that you don't really even need your AI and you can wait five days with no AI, then go ahead and take it. But the main thing that I would uh, that I would worry about would be like, you know, if you get into a situation where you're getting estrogen effects and like your nipples swollen and it's like itching and you don't have anything that you could do about it and you're just waiting on that mail and you don't know exactly when that thing is going to come in. I don't want to be in that situation and that's why I wouldn't take it. The next question is from Rich. I'm on TRT Tessipionate 120 milligrams and Decadurablin 
60 milligrams per week. And he says it's because he has a herniated disc. I feel way better since I started nine weeks ago. I had pretty low free tests when I started and he's 40 years old. Now he's starting to feel a little bit like itchy in his right nipple, like it got irritated. Does that mean I need to lower the dose or do I need to take with a TIT forever an estrogen blocker? Um, yeah, you, so there's a couple things you can do. You could lower the dose and see if that helped. Um, but it's, you know, I think that what you should do is use an estrogen blocker as needed when you get symptoms. So anybody that's taken, uh, TRT usually is going to have some estrogen levels raising a little bit if they don't use anything to prevent estrogen. That's usually just the way it works with injectable testosterone, but you're also using decadurablin. So you might be having some kind of uh, prolactin or progesterone response as well. And uh, you, you know, you don't need to be using the estrogen blocker forever because you said that you've been on it nine weeks and you just started to get um, some symptoms of high estrogen levels or, you know, female hormone levels uh, in your nipple. Uh, basically the way that I always recommend people to take the anti-estrogen and the things like cabergolin and stuff, because, you know, it's true, the anti-estrogen and the cabergolin, you know, these, these anti-hormone drugs, you know, they're not, they're not good for your health. They're not, they're not like, uh, you know, insanely bad for your health, but it's better not to be using them, uh, you know, or, you know, using them sparingly if you can. So my suggestion and the way that I use them is that I use them as needed when I get symptoms. Um, and also the guys that I do training with, that's, that's how I recommend that they do it. And, and they, they like, they like using it like that. So basically if you had a Remedex or Eximestane or Letrozole, you know, if you had that on hand, you could take a tablet right now, um, or even Nolvidex. And, you know, that's going to most likely make your symptoms go away. But since you're on decadurablin too, you know, if it didn't, then the next step would be taking a tablet of cabergolin and seeing if that made it go away. Um, in addition to taking the, the anti-estrogen uh, at, the, at the same time. So you said it took you nine weeks before you got those symptoms. I mean, if you got a, you know, let's say they come back quicker next time, you know, and it's like every five weeks or every six weeks or every four weeks. If that's all you, you know, if, if you've got to take a, an anti-estrogen or an anti-prolactin, um, you know, once a month or something like that's nothing, man, that's nothing. So I wouldn't worry too much about that or thinking like, oh, you know, like I'm getting all stacked up on all these meds that I got to take forever. Um, I just, uh, you know, if you got a little bit of symptoms in your nipple, like, you know, obviously you don't want that there and it kind of affects your mind too, uh, usually. Uh, when you've got those high female hormone levels, just, just, you know, as symptoms arise, just up, oh, you know, I got a little estrogen symptom here. So I'm going to go over here, you know, and I'm going to take an eczemestane tablet, you know, and then hopefully that clears you up. Uh, but if it doesn't, you're like, oh, I'm still feeling some, uh, you know, after 24 hours or so, you're like, I'm still feeling something, you know, I don't feel like it, it's going away the way that I wanted it to. Then, you know, you can take 0.25 milligrams of cabergolin and, you know, the two of those together, pretty much that guarantees that it will fix your problem. Okay. The next question is from Clude who asks, will two, I use farm grade growth hormone ran 12 weeks prior to a physique competition, give a more 3d full look 
Should you run growth hormone through a competition or cut out before due to water retention? Yeah, two IU's pharma-grade growth hormone will give a more 3D full look, and that look will be apparent in your body three, two or three or four days after starting. It's it's a pretty it's a very quick process, and it's definitely a change that is uh, noticeable in the look of your muscles. Uh, but growth hormone does cause water retention as well. But that's you know the water retention that it causes that um, is significant and outside the muscle in the skin. That's more like above four I use, above three or four I use. So like in that five, six, like in that five to 10 I use and up range, that's when you're you're looking like at like, oh, I'm retaining a lot of water, you know, all over my body and my skin, not just in my muscles. So if you've got farm grade growth hormone, it's only two I use, you definitely might not experience any um, water retention in your skin. And there are guys who do competitions um, and they run the growth hormone through the competition. They do not go off the comp, uh, the growth hormone for the competition. And they do it for that specific look, that 3D full look that you're talking about. But, you know, at the same time, those guys usually are sacrificing some um, sharpness when they do that because there is some, I mean, there is some water retention to growth hormone. So other times they just uh, will try to use an, a diuretic to get around that. Um, but it's it's a personal decision you know people do do it like you said you know like running it for a competition for 12 weeks um and and not cutting it out the two i use people do do that um but then it's more common not to do that but there are people who do it so you can experiment lamb guard oh lamb yeah lamb guard what nutrition he asks what nutrition should i have when starting my first cycle and how big of a surplus for a bulk? Thanks for killing it. Yeah, when you start your first cycle, you need to just uh, eat instinctively because your body goes nuts when you're a virgin to male hormones. When you're a steroid virgin and you put like any male hormones in you for that first cycle, Jesus, like the first like two weeks or the first four weeks, like your body responds to it like no other and you don't you don't even really like know what your metabolism is going to do. So my advice for guys starting on their first cycle is always just to like eat eat as you feel like you need to eat. So when you feel hungry and you feel like you need to eat, um, just eat. And for those first couple of weeks, you know, like let the steroids do their thing, and then you know just eat instinctively. Uh, you know, give them the fuel that they need in order to do their thing. Your metabolism is changing. The way that you process food is changing. And, you know, you you need to eat. You need to, for that first cycle, you need to not be, um, you know, restricting your food or something. You know, you need to be taking advantage of that steroid virgin status um, and, you know, just letting them have the raw materials they need to do some things because steroids do not build muscle on their own, okay? they They alter the way that you process food. And because of that, you can build more muscle. So what steroids do is they make it so that your body does different things with the food. It has different preferences for where the energy from that food goes. And it makes it so that the food can be directed towards the right cells in your body. The muscle cells, the skeletal muscle cells, more directed there than usual. So 
make sure to get that food in on your first cycle. It's important. And you'll you'll never get that that virgin steroid feeling again where it's like a like oh my gosh this stuff is just so freaking strong <laughs> as, long, as long as you're running real performance enhancers you can't just run 500 milligrams per week and expect to feel like that but if you run some performance enhancers along with it like tren or like d-ball or anadrol or something or winstrol um, then you know you're mega you're gonna mega feel those steroids on that first cycle when you're a virgin. Okay. The next question is from Antara, who asks, what's the best method to control and maintain low water weight while on cycle? Um, using low testosterone dosages, uh, you know, using low growth hormone dosages or not using growth hormone, um, and then letting the, the anabolic drugs do their thing. So, 500 milligrams or 700 milligrams of testosterone per week in that area. That's the limit where if you take more testosterone than that, you're going to have some unavoidable water retention and it it's just from your body taking up more total nutrients, more total electrolytes, more sodium. Your body just starts hoarding everything that, you know, goes in. Um, that can be somewhat remedied by reducing carbohydrates but uh, generally, if you're looking to maintain and control water weight while on cycle, you're going to want to be, you know, not using testosterone above 700 milligrams per week, um, not using big doses of growth hormone. That's a big one. Um, or not using growth hormone altogether. Um, and then relying on things like Winstrol, Anavar, Anadrol, um, Primobolin, Equipoise, stuff like that to build, to build your muscle, to build your strength, build your physique, um, to get those really high levels of steroids that you need in your body. Because, you know, as we've talked about before, if you want to be like jacked as fuck and like one of the you know biggest guys at, at uh, most muscular guys at pretty much any gym you go to, you know, um, where, where people, they see you and they're like, that guy is, you know, he's jacked as fuck. You got to be taking, you know, almost everybody who is looking like that is using between 1.5 grams to 2.5 or 3 grams of total anabolic steroids per week. Um, that That's like a general rule for getting that look. Um, that's what they're averaging uh, in their cycles. So, um, yep. Yep. You got to, you got to, since you're not going to use a lot of testosterone, you got to fill it in. You got to fill it in with other stuff. Other other drugs that aren't as healthy, since you don't want to use uh, you don't want to have much water retention. Okay, the next question is from Two V. He says, "Just started listening to your podcast. Love it. I had a question about a cutting cycle. I've only done the one I'm on now, which is 600 milligrams testy and 600 milligrams of Deca, 50 milligrams a day of Anadrol. That's a good cycle." But it ends in four weeks. And you notice this guy too, you know, 600, 600, and then the 50 Anadrol, that's 350. So that actually adds up to 1,550 milligrams of anabolics total per week, which puts this guy in the range where he's, you know, he's using the kind of cycles and dosages that are going to get him jacked as fuck. He's going to, you know, have the ability to be, you know, one of the biggest guys in every gym he goes to, you know, and people are going to be thinking like, wow, this dude's fucking jacked. 
Um, <laughs> that's like the magic dosage, you know. You've got to be, be having your total anabolics add up, you know, for almost everybody, you know, to at least 1.5 grams per week on average for your cycles, especially if you're not using trend. Um, so he says he's using that cycle, but it ends in four weeks. So I want to start cutting. I was thinking about 1,000 milligrams of test E, 500 milligrams of Mastron, 500 milligrams of Equipoise, and add Clen towards the end. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't use the Mastron. Like, you know, Mastron goes good with Trend because Trend hurts a lot of people's sex drive. And so, you know, they'll use the Mastron because Mastron, you know, has an, a really increased sex drive effect to it. Um, but it definitely does not fill your muscles up at all. I mean, I'm talking zero. Uh, it's, it's totally a cosmetic drug. Um, it does make you a little bit stronger because it makes, uh, it like, uh, like the same as Proviron, it lowers SHBG. So then like the testosterone and, uh, all the other, all the other hormones are not going to be inactivated and unable to do their job because of SHBG, uh, sex hormone binding globulin binding to those steroids and inactivating them. Uh, so that, I mean, that's the main reason for Mastron. Um, so for that reason, you, you know, you could keep the Mastron in there, but if you're thinking the Mastron is going to like make you look like ripped um, or, or like, you know, like burn fat, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. Um, and it doesn't have the effect of like filling your muscles up either. Like something like, I'm sure since your experience with Anadrol, you, you do see that effect. And even with something like Winstrol, you know, you, you do see like, oh, my muscles are like way fuller, um, you know, while I'm using this, you know, I have a different look to my body. Mastron kind of makes it kind of reduces your water a little bit and makes everything look a little bit more like dense and smaller and compact, more dense. That That's what it looks like. Puts a ton of oil on your skin, really thick oil on your skin uh, that makes you look shiny and increases your sex drive a ton. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't really have like a much of an anabolic or fat burning effect at all. Um, so if you wanted to use something, you know, that would uh, help you with the fat burning uh, instead of the Mastron, you know, if you took that out and instead ran like two or three IUs of growth hormone per day, you know, that would really help with your fat loss. Um, and, and it would directly help with your fat loss. Or you could take the the Mastron out and, you know, you could put instead of 500 milligrams Mastron, you could put Primobol in. And then that would also help with your cutting. You know, it fills your muscles out, um, makes you a bit stronger um, and helps with nutrient partitioning and helps maintain your muscle uh, without losing any while you're cutting. And then the Clen that you were talking about adding in there and the Equipoise, those are both good. Um, the Clen, it's a really effective fat burner, um, especially with cardio. I've, for me, I feel like the... I feel like the... Clen really shines when you're using it with cardio. So in my experience um, and in the experience that I've had with observing others in real life... It's the guys who combine the clenbuterol with the cardio that get the, the really good effects from the clen, especially fasted cardio in the morning with the clen. It really burns fat well like that. Okay, next question is from Jan, who says, question for the podcast, how big of a difference will 250 milligrams of testosterone per week year-round make uh, for a natural in his 30s? How much muscle mass built in a year and boost in energy. And what do you think of finasteride as a hair loss agent on cycle? Yeah, so 250 milligrams per week, 
will make a difference. You're a natural dude in your 30s and you're thinking about, you know, using a little bit of testosterone, um, which this dosage that you're talking about is testosterone replacement therapy. It's the same dosage that a doctor would prescribe you. They, they prescribe in America for testosterone replacement therapy, the dosages that they prescribe based on your doctor and based on you, um, your body, you know, what it does to you and stuff. It will be anywhere between 100 milligrams, usually 125 milligrams, half cc. Sometimes they, they have a they have 100 milligram uh, way to get it there, to get it to that level. Uh, so 100 milligrams, 125 milligrams, up to 400 milligrams per week of testosterone. That's the range that doctors prescribe uh, testosterone replacement therapy for uh, in America, uh, which is year round. They never, you know, the person never goes off. So when you ask, is it okay to do this year round? Yeah, it's okay to do it because it's the same dosage that doctors use. You know, it's it's the middle of the range for what doctors use for TRT uh, at a common dosage. And it will make a difference in, in your body, but it's not going to be a big difference. Like you'll notice like an increased sex drive, you'll notice, um, and you know, some slight changes in your personality, more assertiveness, um, maybe a little bit more indifferent to those around you or the feelings of those people around you. Um, maybe a little bit more like suspicion about, um, other people and their intentions, stuff like that. And then you will also have, um, some, some more strength in the gym. You'll be able to gain some more muscle, but we're talking like, we're talking about like really like light, moderate amounts. If you look, if you go a year on this 250 testosterone and then you look back, you know, to where you were one year prior, um, before you were on it, then you're going to see the difference. But if you just, you know, keep doing what you're doing and add in 250 milligrams of testosterone and then look back, you know, after three months or something, you're, you're not going to notice like a big difference. Like you may know, you're probably going to notice some difference, uh, but it's not going to be like, wow, like this really changed shit for me. Uh, but after, after like a year, you'll be able to see like, like, ah, oh, that, you know, getting on the testosterone, you know, that really made a difference for me. So, uh, you know, taking 250 milligrams of tests per week. Um, I don't think that using finasteride is a good idea. Um, you're not using really high levels of test, you know, 250 milligrams puts most people at, you know, the very top end of the normal range for testosterone levels, or maybe a little bit higher than the top end, you know, just barely, barely higher than the top, uh, natural testosterone, normal range. And, uh, usually that's not a problem for hair loss. Uh, for those who are really genetically predisposed to hair loss and they're really worried about it. Um, you know, they need to not, not use testosterone though, like in general, because like testosterone and dihydrotestosterone is metabolite or what cause hair loss and finasteride makes it so that your body doesn't produce dihydrotestosterone, but dihydrotestosterone is the chemical that gives you sex drive It's the brain chemical. And it's also the chemical that, you know, like makes your, your penis be able to work and makes you a man, makes you grow your beard or whatever. Um, so if you don't have that, you know, you're going to feel like shit. Uh, that's the brain chemical. You know, testosterone works in your muscles, but it doesn't work in your brain. Dihydrotestosterone, the metabolite of testosterone works in the muscles. So you got, you got to have that in your body. And if you take finasteride, you're directly 
inhibiting that, preventing testosterone, dihydrotestosterone, from being created from testosterone. Uh, so you're not going to have the, the brain chemical or, or you know, the hormone that you need to make your penis work anymore. So I don't recommend using finasteride unless you you got like cancer of your prostate or something. I mean, that's finasteride and dutasteride. That's pretty much what they should be used for is, you know, shrinking prostate cancer and stuff like that. I don't really believe in that for hair loss. If you want to use steroids and hair loss is a huge concern to you, then just use decadurablin, anivar, and growth hormone. Because if you can, you know, decadurablin, we've talked about this before, it has a metabolite called dihydronandrolone that can support your sex drive if it's used without testosterone. Um, and then anivar, it does not produce uh, hair loss either for the vast majority, and growth hormone does not produce hair loss either. It actually increases the speed at which your hair grows. So if you're on growth hormone, you'll notice that you need to get like haircuts more often and stuff like that. Um, you know, growth hormone makes it, you know, if you get cut, you know, the cut heals quicker, you know, the hair grows quicker on your head, the hair grows quicker on, on your body, on your arms, on your, on your legs. It's, it, everything is quicker. Everything is growing on growth hormone. Um, so it's, that's probably a, a good, a good thought, a good thought for somebody who's really concerned about their hair loss like Jen. All right. The final question for today is from Nicholas who says, Thoughts on doing roids subcutaneously. I've read a lot lately about people being prescribed testosterone replacement therapy subcutaneously, so maybe gear could work. Obviously, 3cc sub-Q in one go would be a bad idea, but could you split your weekly dose into 7 or even 14 and pin subcutaneously daily or twice daily? Could this help stabilize hormone levels mimicking the body's natural production? Okay, the body's natural testosterone production is like up and down spikes all day, all day. Um, it's totally not a stable uh, level. So your test your testicles, whenever they get, um, whenever the, the level of the estrogen um, starts to go down, your hypothalamus, it's it detects that uh, lower estrogen level, and then it starts redu it starts producing uh, GnRH, gonadotropin releasing hormone, which then stimulates your pituitary gland, which then starts sending out luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone which then stimulate your testicles sertoli and leydig cells to start producing sperm and testosterone okay and then once the sperm and testosterone is uh so, sorry once the <laughs> once the testosterone is in your system then the aromatase enzyme starts converting some of that testosterone into estrogen and so then the estrogen levels start to rise up and then your hypothalamus detects that and it says okay shut off the gonadotropin releasing hormone uh, that shut off this whole process to the hypothalamus making the pituitary gland do stuff, which makes the testicles do stuff, shut off the process. And then you stop making the testosterone. And then later during the day, when the when the estrogen level starts to come down again, then your hypothalamus says, hey, estrogen level is coming down. Uh, we're going to start releasing gonadotropin releasing hormone again. And then that makes the pituitary gland do its thing and it makes the testicles make more testosterone. It's not like the testo that like the testicles, it's on a feedback loop. The testicles aren't just producing like testosterone all day long at a, you know, a normal rate. It's, it's up and down, up and down all day, depending on the situation. Things like even like your posture and, and, um, like your mood can affect, um, you know, when your body starts releasing testosterone during the day. So stable testosterone levels are totally unnatural just to let you know. Uh, but, but what you want to have is you want to have testosterone levels 
that are never, you know, dipping low. You know, you never want to have them dip low. So for guys who are doing TRT, um, you know, they, they talk about subcutaneous injections. That's like kind of like a fad lately. And basically when you put that oil into your fat, you know, you pinch, you pinch like your stomach near your belly button. Um, and then in the flesh that you, you have between your fingers, uh, your thumb and, and the rest of your fingers, you, you stick the needle in there, into that flesh, into the fat. And, you know, you put the oil in there and then in order for the, the body to get the hormone into the bloodstream, uh, it has to absorb it from the fat and the fat doesn't have a direct blood supply to it. Like the muscle does. So it takes a long time. And so that, um, that hormone, that oil and the horm and the hormone that you put in your fat, it, it's like leaking out of there and being absorbed very slowly, like over weeks. Um, and so, yes, it produces a super stable, uh, slow release hormone doing it like that. Uh, but the thing is, is that when you put it into your fat, it really takes like weeks for your body to digest it. And so if you feel the area, you know, a week later or something, and you've done like a, a CC, like one CC of oil steroids into your fat, it will be there. A lump will be there in your fat and you'll be able to feel it for like two or three weeks before it goes away. So I, I've tried it. I've tried injecting, um, you know, testoviron, Bayer testoviron into my fat. And this, this was how it, it worked at one CC injected into the fat. And I don't like it. I really did not like it that it was staying there in my fat for, you know, weeks that was bothering me big time. And I was like, what the fuck? I have this like hard mass in here where I injected that and it's not going away over weeks. Uh, and then, you know, it finally absorbed and you know, I don't have any now, but I gave it a go. I gave it a go because this was a fad and I was curious about it. So that's the thing is that you're going to get lumps in your fat tissue and it's going to be there for, uh, for, for weeks. Now you can probably avoid this if you put in really small amounts, like, you know, 0.2 or 0.3 milliliters of testosterone, you know, a very small amount in the fat. You could probably avoid that, you know, using less than a CC, but you're saying you want to do this for gear. So you're talking about, you know, multiple CCs, you know, three CC syringes or, you know, one CC syringes minimum that you're wanting to do to, to take this. Um, and you know, it's fine if you do that, but just know that you're going to have the gear sitting in your fat for, you know, long periods of time. And it's not going to be like an intramuscular injection where the little bit of inflammation or, you know, hardness that you can feel in the area where you did the injection is gone after two or three days. Uh, with the subcutaneous injection, it's, it will be several weeks before that um, lump area or hardness area or inflammation area uh, goes away um, from taking that injection. If you would like your questions to be answered on the steroids podcast, go to steroidspodcast.com and leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast on Instagram. Until next time.